I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are in there. We're trying hard to make it through, but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm, hard, I'm heartbroken. So we're four weeks without any GEA now, lads. How are you holding up, especially you, Conan? And we know, how, like, you can get a little bit emotional about the GEA. What's it like not having it? <laughs> I saw I saw you tweeting out that uh, article from 2001, was it? It was ranking the honkiest GA players. And someone just wrote back to me saying, was it Conan who wrote that? <laughs> what sort of perception am I putting out there of, of myself? Um, but yeah, no, I am. I'm, uh, I'm really missing, I'm missing all the, the romantic stories. And there's nobody sweeping dressing rooms anymore. And there's um, there's nobody having any chance to be classy in any way. So like, <laughs> to be honest, to start off with, when I heard the club games and all were, were cancelled and training was cancelled, I was like... Brilliant. You know yourself, William, always winds into you about having to go to training and stuff. Yeah. But, but after two weeks, I miss it, yeah. Yeah, you miss it. What about you, Connor? Like, I mean, Kilshima, are you doing group sessions online? Or I was reading that some teams are doing sessions on Zoom. How the hell would that even work? I think the GA has banned that. I can assure you that we're doing no Zoom sessions together <laughs> anyway, William, if that brings you any consolation. No, we have, um, it's just, I'd say this is the usual crack for for clubs all around the, all around the country. We've, our strength and conditioning coach put in some uh, running, you know, running exercises that we can do, various different sets of running exercises. We have some weights that we were able to get out of our gym and bring home. Um, so, and then we've been largely left to our own devices. They'll check in with us every now and again. But one thing that I'm happy about is that we haven't been told that we have to post pictures into a WhatsApp group because that would just drive <laughs> me down. So. Well, to, pr- to prove it, what about you, Conan? What are you doing? Like, I mean, I'm not even going to give my experiences. Lads aren't even texting the master's group, never mind uh, worry yeah. about training. I was just going to ask, is the Masters cancelled then, or what's the story? Well, maybe they might play it off quicker um, rather than spread it across the whole year. But listen, people are going to be tuning out, uh, Conan. I want to know what Scary's Harps are doing. <laughs> we're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just uh, just doing runs as well, like, basically. Yeah. Um, 
we got like a two-week program originally, which is funny, thinking that we'd be back in two weeks, but uh, then we got a new four-week one there the other day, so it's just, it's basically running, so we sort of, you missed the kicking, like, and yeah, I know, I know like Joe Cannon been talking about uh, match fitness and stuff as well, you can't really replace that, so we're doing runs, but sure, you're going to have to build it up again no matter what when you get back. That's the thing, like, I mean, running is not, running is just a small facet of training for Gaelic football, like, I mean, our, our hurling, like, Running is nothing really in the bigger scheme of things. It's not preparing you for anything. Like you can't mm. play challenge matches, can't play in-house games. You can't get tackled. You know, you can't. And especially like if you had a brother or something, you know, that was living in the same house mm. as you, at least you could do something that's worthwhile. But if you're on your own, like you're training, really. Like, I mean, it's like coming back from an injury. You're nowhere near fit enough to play. Yeah, and you're not you're not racing anybody, even if you are just yeah. running. Yeah. Then, like when you're playing a match, you don't decide when you run you have to run when you have to run like you know whereas in, in this like we're taking 90 second breaks you know you're getting your breath back and then you're going again but you can't do that a lot of time in match that's match fitness I think yeah no it is exactly so I'm sick of these skills videos I don't know about you uh, Connor like I mean I was kind of interested in them a little bit for the first few days and we're nearly th- are we three weeks into this crap now and if someone puts up another video <laughs> hand passing a, a football up against the gable end of a house uh, I think I'm going to crack up <laughs> Yeah, they were they were novelty for the first couple of weeks, and and to be fair, some of them were really good. But now yeah. after a while, it's like Kieran, Ling, Kieran Ling's one was on a different level. I had to watch yeah. that in slow motion to see what he did. That was did like he, had, um, he had it. Um, he had it slowed down himself, as far as I know. He had the the effect on the camera that that slowed down the pickup. It was uh, it was amazing. But um, I just want to know, Willie was um, was part of the masters program for you guys. To do press ups out the back garden with the two kids on the back. I just looking at your Instagram. <laughs> I'm I actually am training. I'm doing a bit. Sure, you crack up like I mean you need sure. a bit of physical exercise because the day is boring, you know, as it is. Like I mean, I think sure. Listen, anybody, most people listening to this would be probably doing a little bit anyway if they're into G or maybe probably have played a little bit. But you crack up, Conan. I'd say if you if if you don't do anything, I'm training nearly every, well four times a week anyways. Jesus, and I am doing I am doing press ups with the two children on my back. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like um, you know, we always think about if you were ever in prison for an extended period of time. You always think, <laughs> yeah, we think about that all the time. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's the sort of situation. Now you got the chance I, to do it. It's, it's actually going to show up a lot of bluffers who'd say they would do stuff if they got the chance. Now they've got the chance. Will they do it or not? Yeah, it's funny enough when I'm trying to learn Spanish. I have daydreamed about being in a Spanish prison for a year and coming out fluent. Just having nothing else to do. <laughs> hey, Willie, just go on Duolingo like I'm doing. That's rather than think about being in a prison. That's how it works. <laughs> Commit a crime in Spain just to learn Spanish. <laughs> Some people are, look like they're cracking up. Like, I mean, Desi Ward has built his own football pitch. Did you see this on Instagram? So yeah. he had some land out the back. Um, and he says, I was looking around and basically there was a nice flat area and I was saying to myself, you know what, um, we may build a football field here possibly. So he, I think he got the cattle off it and himself and his brother, Matthew, um, started flattening out uh, the pitch and his father brought up uh, flour and left it there. So they put markings out and they got the juvenile goals from the club. They took them down with them as well. So he's built a football pitch. I'd say Banty is absolutely delighted looking at this because you can't, you can't use GA grounds, Connor. No, you can't. I suppose the only thing is there must be no bacon going on in the ward household. That's what's going on in every other household. But they you the flour there to to build their own pitch. I think yeah, it's it's uh, you're not you're definitely not supposed to use um 
use uh, use GA pitches because they're meant to be off limits to the public. But I won't lie, like there's a field out the back of my house and it's only fit for grazing cattle, to be honest. But there's been a couple of times in my weaker moments in the last few weeks, I've, I've been thinking, can I even use it to do a couple of hill sprints? Can I just, you know, run back and over it? Can I put a set of goals in there or something? Because people just have to make do, like, you know, so... Um, Desi Wards, now I have to say, was very impressive, but um, where are all the cakes gone in that house? I don't know. Whatever about the cakes, lads, one of my friends said to me recently, and he nearly gave me a panic attack, what if we run out of alcohol? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, the supermarket. Like, I mean, is alcohol being produced? Like, I mean, are the breweries working? Like, I mean, this is a serious question that needs to be answered. Well, you Without won't be answering the leash games if that happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've, I've developed a dependency on alcohol about seven o'clock every evening now. <laughs> yeah, talk about that there, do you? <laughs> <laughs> the alcohol hour. <laughs> so, so James McCarthy, funnily enough, did a media day. Like I was wondering how this was going to work. It must have been a call like what we're doing on Skype. Um, and he was talking about turning it being turned into a DIY merchant and doing stuff at home. And I'd say we've all done that. The garage has been cleaned up and gardening and um, the place looks great. He says it feels like being a kid again, going out the back garden and kicking a football off the wall. He says that's the best of skills um, you're doing, really. Um, and if I'm going to the park, I've got two or three balls myself and I try and kick a few scores. Like, I mean, he's talking about doing that himself. It's just desperate stuff altogether, isn't it, Conan, for, for players, for everyone to try and keep this going, doing it on your own. Like if you're doing the social distancing right, which everybody should be, it's just desperate. Yeah, I'm sure he's the lucky one that he has three balls. Like, you know, I, I did it once with one ball. I was like, I'm not doing that again. Like, you kick the ball and you spend the next minute going after it, <laughs> bringing yeah. it back out to your position again. Um, like, you know, like those stories that Joe Brawley would always say where he had the under-12s lined up behind the goals and kicking the ball back out to him. You obviously, you can't do that, Tyler. It's, it is, it's, it's interesting because people, like, a lot of people are, are, are fucked because of this. Like, and everybody's going to come back in different levels. And you can't, like, you can't do team sessions. You can't do proper football sessions. So it's going to be really interesting if there is a championship. Like, you know, what level people are coming back at. Well, that's the thing. And like Joe Canning said, um, he was talking during the week as well. He was talking about match fitness. And he was like, when the championship starts, we're going to need two or three weeks, you know, group training sessions and A versus B matches to get near any sort of championship fitness. And he's right, Connor. Yes, but but the only thing I'll say about that is that like when when you're talking about coming back to match fitness, you're normally talking about coming to back back to match fitness while everybody else has been playing. Do you know what I mean? So I suppose the thing with and, and kind of mentioned it there is because like James McCarthy, nobody else has any real option but to work on their you. physical fitness and their yeah. skills. So every everybody's going to come back to the same level. The most frightening thing about building yourself back up to match fitness is when you come back into a situation where everybody else is playing, you think you're fit enough and then you're in that situation you're like, my God, I'm way off it. But yeah. now everybody's going to come back to that. So like, there might be a kind of a comic element that might even make it entertaining when people are coming back that they haven't been able to play for so long, that there'll be so much more mistakes and be more entertaining to watch for the rest of us. Well, that, I, never, I never really thought about that, Conan. That's a good one. So like, I mean, you're coming back from being injured and you're meeting up with a squad who are match fit and you stand out as not being match fit. If everybody's not match fit, yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, what, are lads, like, at, at 55 minutes just going to start putting their hands up to be taken off? Like, yeah. It's that old classic when you just grab somebody by the jersey and you foul them and then the, the ref comes over and you're like, well, what else can I do? He's too fast for me or whatever you're blowing yeah. out of the hole. But um, the only worry there, what Connor says, is if you come back and you're marking a, an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old or something who's just naturally fit all year round anyway and then you're trying to sort of keep pace with him. 
the tiny yeah. younger teams could really be licking their lips. We were thinking about <laughs> it ourselves. Like I met a guy we kept her two meters apart. We weren't at the GA grounds. Met him at the shop, and uh, you're sort of thinking, geez, if we go straight back into a club championship, you know, like all bets are off. Like you, know, you could catch people with straight knockouts, and like you know, you don't know what level everybody's going to be at. Yeah, I knew championship structures would come up here some way, so it's a nice <laughs> little segue from that. So we don't really know what this is going to be because the most frustrating part about this whole thing is that there's no real end in sight, right? So we don't see the new cases flattening off. Um, we, we're not sure because we're not sure the consistency of the testing and there's no way of making a, a judgment on it. So we have no light at the end of the tunnel. This is the most frustrating part until we start seeing a trend of it, you know, dropping for a week where we can say, right, we're on top of this now. We're not at that point yet. So we can only speculate on what the championship is going to be. Like, I mean, I, I was looking at the football. Like, I mean, that goes a straight knockout. You're looking at four weeks to finish off Leinster and Ulster. Um, and then you go semi-finals, finals. So that's six weeks. And you'd want a, a week's break in between the semi-final finals. So you're looking at two months and that's straight knockout. And in the hurling, you, I think they can continue with the Munster and Leinster leagues. They're five weeks to, to finish them. Um, and go semi-finals, finals after that. So they're looking at seven weeks and plus the, you know, you could finish the football probably in seven weeks and the hurling in eight weeks. So we're, we're probably looking at that situation where we're looking at August, September, Conan, maybe um, at the straight knockout. I don't see how qualifiers and quarterfinals can work if it's pushed back to August, September. Yeah, and I think actually if they just committed to that now, it, it would help a lot because if you just told everybody, here's the scenario, whenever we get back, we're going to have eight weeks and play it off. So then like, you know, provisionally we'll put it in for September 1st or whatever it is and the two months that they play it off. If we have to put it back in another month, then again, you know it's eight weeks and it's done and everybody knows who they're playing. Or, you know, when you can start sort of preparing in your own way for it, um, yeah, I think it'd be too much of a mess if they're trying to cling on to what they have. Like, it's just it's not possible. Like, and we just don't know when we'll be back is the problem. That's the thing. And like, I mean, another thing is like, I mean, I was reading in the Examiner, John Fogarty had it, Connor, that they'll, they'll start up club football first. Obviously, that makes sense because big, you know, highly attended inter-county games would be the last one to be turned back on, you know. So club football, 15 against 15, not that many people watching it. You could see that starting back for a few weeks maybe a month before we see any inter-county action. I think when you were saying their club football, 15 on 15, Conan was getting turned on about the romanticism of it all, I think. But uh, but yeah, like it's what I was thinking as well is that like, so, so there'll be three or four weeks. So then obviously it depends on every, every individual county. So I'm thinking of our own situation. We haven't even started our leagues yet in Mayo. The plan was to start them at the end of March and then do all the leagues up until the start of the inter-county season, then put it on hold until the championship. So, the way I'm looking at the moment, if that was to be the case, you'd either have to, you know, play a shortened league or you'd have to, you know, just take it as a fact that like the county players just can't can't play league. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how individual counties will will implement that. But it's it, it nearly feels like a, like I don't want to be talking about like if there might be a season whatsoever, but it nearly feels strange talking about the return of GA even at this stage because. There's, it, as you said, like the, the curve hasn't been flattened yet, so we can't even consider the return of organised sport until then. And then to be talking about, well, in what sort of format is it going to return then? So, like, can you, you like, you're talking about GA being played in front of, you know, like with, with no crowds whatsoever in front of, you know, drastically reduced crowds or something like that. So, but, but you're like, there has to be some sort of, like, the GA, all they can do at the moment is plan for some sort of contingency and that kind of reduced, you know, 
putting it back to nearly a straight knockout is all they can put forward at the moment and then kind of gradually review it as they go on and hopefully the situation that yourself and Conor have put forward there that we are in a position late summer, late autumn to do that shortened version in the championship but it, it just seems so hard to speculate now at the moment. And and like I mean, there isn't even talk for the intercounty game when that comes back on that there be reduced capacities at that as well. And like I mean, it obviously makes sense, but it's hitting the GEA hard. Like I mean, Tom Ryan, um, our director general, has been on record saying that they're looking at central council wise. There's probably a sixty million, sixty million euros at risk. Um, all we have is matches. He said that's all we have. We don't have an international organization that can come to our aid everything that we generate is generated pretty much on the island of Ireland and it's all generated within probably a two or three month period of the year, which is the period that could be lost to us income wise. So like I think if it's September and October we're still gonna we're still gonna get that championship. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be a, a lot of referees playing for draws next year just to try and make, <laughs> make that back. It is funny though, I read a piece in the Irish Times and it was so extensive about the whole country, like you know, when we'll get back to normal and how that normal will be different because you can't just turn on the tap and everything will be the same again. Yeah. But um, the person they were in had in talking about sport started talking about the GA and how we can't have any replays so we'll need to figure out something there I was like only in the GA would we be talking about <laughs> replays and a new format of rules in this whole big piece about the whole country yeah so, so who else was I reading there was saying this is a great oh Prenti the Connacht uh, secretary it's a great yeah. opportunity now to change the championship structures and make it shorter <laughs> and all this kind of thing it's like Jesus mate like, I mean, that, this is not the time to talk about championship structures. We have a new one, you know, like, I mean, and using this as an excuse to change it. But that's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't want to get into a coronavirus talk, but like they've increased the testing from 1500 to 2000 and the new cases have stayed pretty steady. So I'm I'm being optimistic, thinking that we have topped the curve. It's just the new cases are remaining consistent because of the more testing. Do you get me? Like, I mean. I don't know whether we should even probably talk about this because we we it will probably be the dumbest conversation that we'll ever that we'll ever have. Um, I want to hear what Connor has to say on this. <laughs> absolutely not experts on it, but that's thing. Like I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm being optimistic that we could get back in the mix here, like you know, August September. I I think that's a very realistic. It's only a small country, and we weren't we're not riddled in it or anything. Like I mean, you know, there's no point in all the doom and gloom. But you have to you have to be optimistic. Like if, if you don't have optimism about things returning to normal, what do you have? It's it's a complete doomsday scenario altogether. But just like what what you're saying there earlier about um, the championship taking place, I think there's been a couple of uh, kind of theories or suggestions that like you know abandon the intercounty season altogether and just just play with club, which is. They're forgetting that big, the, Tom Ryan yeah, mentioned 60 million. It can't happen. The GEA is completely dependent on the inter-county championship. What I will say about that is if it in, if there is a case where the GEA has to be, the championship had to be played behind closed doors, for example, to follow social distancing protocols, at least there could be a case to be made for the games being played behind closed doors, but they're still being televised. So there's advertising revenue open to the GA and stuff like that too. So yeah. there will be, it's obviously, they're going to suffer a hit. Every industry is going to take a hit, but that there could be something feasible. I mean, we like at the moment you take that because it would give, supporters might be able to go to the games, but at least ah, they'd be yeah. able to watch the games. Ah, yeah, but sure, it would make no sense to play them and not televise them. Sure, that wouldn't, of course, of course they'd definitely be televised. It's just how many supporters can they get in there paying? That's the most important thing. 
And yeah. then fit into the current TV package as well. Just that's the only thing about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come here. The international rules is off. As if anybody gives a shit about the international <laughs> rules. Um, <laughs> this time we're all stuck in our houses. Is it a third of the world stuck inside their houses? And, and, and international rules is off. Oh God, what are we going to do? But that's uh that's gone. The AFL announced this on their on their website. Like, I mean, it's interesting. The players' wages have been cut in half. So most industries have been, you know, looking at wage cuts no less than ourselves and things like that. But they've been cut in half. And if the if they're if the AFL doesn't doesn't start back up within a certain time period, that can go up to eighty percent. So like it's a fair it's a fair old whack, especially on some of the young lads that are going out there. And in the first two years, you know that you're not making that much money. You might be on seventy thousand, eighty thousand um, dollars, and you're paying rent. You know wherever you're paying rent, and you've got the cost of living. And now that's gone down to forty thousand dollars, with the threat of it going down maybe to twenty Conan. So, like, I mean, it's it's actually it's a real disaster for the 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 young fellas. Like, you know, Zach Tuhi and these lads would probably be all right, but the fellas who haven't gone up from the two years up to a decent, you know, well paid contract. Yeah, it is, and but it's disgusting. Like the first thing I think of is like, Jesus, Derry could be playing with Connor Glass and Callum mm-hmm. Brown very soon. Like, you know, if they come back and they don't, like, you really can't last it out there. Like that, that is sort of. It's obviously awful for them, and you'd like them to get a fair crack of it out there. And Connor Glass, especially, has like gotten runs in the first team. But like, it is something that that could be a reality as well going forward, where a lot more of these players spring back up around home. Yeah, one. Uh, well, at this every I was going to say every every cloud has a silver lining. Um, there's plenty of players who were going to take a year out, and they haven't been able to go. So, like, I mean, like, I'm I'm being selfish here by saying every cloud has a silver lining that we might be able to see the likes of Jamie Malone. Um, uh, Gary Brennan hasn't gone. The two fellas from Clare, they're uh, they're they're stuck. And we know we talk so much, Connor, about how many fellas are taking the year out to go travelling. Their plans are screwed. Like I mean, Connor Miner is holed up in a house in New Zealand. I was reading. Like I mean, and his plans were to travel, and now he's stuck there. Like I mean, it's just, when you think about it, it, like I mean, how this has disrupted plans and stuff. You know, sometimes when you're you're given out about your own situation, you don't stop to think about other people. No, absolutely yeah it's crazy but not only that like not only the players that were going traveling for a year like we've had a we talked a lot on the show about people who were just you know they took a year out because the demands you know on your county like to be in county football well that's the thing they're all going to come they're all going to come back now because yeah. they've had their break anywhere they're thinking you know listen i i've been that star of football for the last few months that i'm mad to come back i'll, I'll postpone my break for another couple of years so like i said it's good for it's good, sounds good for Clare particularly and, and, and a lot of other counties um, that are going to have way more players than they expected they were going to have. You know, but might be a shortened champion, it might be a lot later in the year, but it's, it has a lot of different complexion and it could make a massive difference for some of those counties when the championship does eventually return. Yeah, no, it definitely would. Right, we've been doing loads of nostalgia shows as you two um, know right well because you've been sharing them um, with me and we've done good hurling ones um, as well. So I have a couple of clips here for anyone who hasn't been listening to the nostalgia shows. So you should listen to them. The first um, clip here I have is from Declan Darcy. So we did a nostalgia show in the 1994 Connacht final. Um, myself and Conan did this one. And towards the end of the Declan Darcy interview, I, I think I might have finally cracked what Jim Gavin was talking about when he talked about the process. So have a listen to that. And the really good thing, what we chased was not... Um, the winning or losing of a game we chased our standards so we would have our own standards of football where we wanted it and it, it's a great way to look at football because it takes away the emotion of whether you lose your play or you win 
because sometimes you can equally learn as much in winning as you do in losing or yeah. drawing. And some people miss that bit. So we always went after our standards. So that's where we would review the game with the players individually and collectively as to what that standard, what did we set out to do, achieve? Did we do it? And we really stripped back whether there was a winning or a losing element to it or drawing. It was just how did we function and how can we, if that presented itself again the next day, and how would we function better? And it was all about learning and improving. And the guys had that game intelligence in their locker to be able to see things and accept them and then obviously to evolve. But you have to have players in that bubble um, to understand that and to evolve and to get better from them situations. And I think that's one great credit to this that Dublin team is that they had that ability within them their game intelligence, they're all very intelligent guys uh, and they can just deal with stuff during game and pre-game, after game very, very well. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way to do it because, like, I mean, traditionally, if you score a last second goal to win the game, the performance is seen as good, you know, because you won rather than how is the performance without, you know, winning, drawing or losing. Well, winning, losing or drawing, is they're just emotions. To be honest with you, being really clinical about it. So your application to what you're chasing is obviously uh, performance. And can you perform to a level that at your standards? So obviously each team has different standards of performance that they can achieve. But if they don't get to 8, 9, 10 out of 10 in their performance, they're not going to give themselves possibly a chance to win the game. So instead of chasing the win, you're better off chasing the performance and what does that look like? Um, and that's the key piece and it takes away the emotion particularly pre, during game and after game for players how they think about football because if you get caught up pre-game it's, it's, the game is here with so much at stake here so much to win as opposed to the players they're all they're thinking about how they're going to function and how they're going to play that's their concern and even during game you know that's why this team you know when there's two minutes on the clock there could be three points down and all they're focusing on is the next play they're not one bit worried whether they're going to win the game or lose the game. They just want to play the next play as best they can. And they understand if they do that, they give themselves a huge chance to function really, really well. And that's probably, that's, that's the bit that we were chasing. Is this, this where this famous process word that Jim used uh, came out of? I think I'm getting, starting to understand. <laughs> where, where, <laughs> where well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, yeah, Jim, yeah, obviously you guys have loved Jim, but, um, yeah, he, he wasn't a million miles off, it's going to say, and everybody was kind of thinking, ah, oh, he's only pulling that out of the hat there, and he's kind of just saying that, but a lot of it was, and, you know, yeah. when you think about it, you know, the players are in that bubble, and they were functioning really, really well, and the exceptional bit about them was, you know, in the white heat championship football, well, a lot was at stake, and at any stage, you know, you're talking about, two in a row, three in a row, then and then the final. There was a lot of chips on the table and a lot of pressure when it came to certain games, um, as you've seen. Um, and were they able and capable of functioning correctly? And I think a lot has to do with that process piece and what it looked like to them. But don't forget, you know, it might, it might work for this particular group of players, which it did really, really well. It might work for every group of players, but it certainly was, gave us huge traction um, and actually being able to perform at the really, really key moments of the games, guys didn't lose focus of what they had to do. And it was a brilliant, brilliant piece. And then to see them executing it, particularly in the All-Ireland final last year, the drawing game, not to, when it was a lot at stake, 
and things yeah. not going their way, they still had the mindset to still to function really, really well. So there you are, Conan. We talk about taking emotion out of it. We talked about uh, some things like that. That's what sports psychologists tell you. Well, Cheddar, maybe Cheddar was the one telling me that. Um, when you take the emotion out of it, and it, like, geez, when you think about Dublin towards the end of the games, how they're so ice cold because this has been drilled into them. Look, losing this All Ireland to Kerry is not the end of the world. How we finish this game out and perform and stick to the process. You know, potentially this is, you know, like, OK, let's not read too much into it. But if that's been in, been beaten into them for the last five years, seven years since Jim Gavin took over, um, you can kind of maybe see why a trend of never been beaten and not panicking and making the right decisions, you know, in the Mayo matches, in the Kerry matches, all those things didn't just happen by chance. Yeah, and like I love that you were actually starting to come around to the idea of this process as well. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly. Yeah, but, you want to, you want to, but the funny thing about this is if Jim just explained it as elegantly and clearly as Declan Darcy, we wouldn't be making a laugh of the process. Yeah, because it's funny, you asked them about, the, or you, you mentioned the all Ireland final when they had a man down and they were chasing Kerry. Like, you know, because that's, that's the thought that went into my head as well. And, you know, you haven't always seen Dublin in positions of adversity at the top level. We have, and like even in the league, but they've always come back as well. They always do come back. And the term like next ball is probably overused in GA, but like I don't think a lot of people really thought about it until, until I really listened to that. Then I was like, you know what? It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's just like next, that's all you can control. And like you'd hear a lot of them, you know, Johnny Cooper and these boys who are well spoken, they talk about controlling the controllables and staying inside their circle and everything outside that's a distraction. You know, so they always just focus on what they can. And, like, what else can you focus on? And I'd say if that is drummed into you over years, and I know they share literature and stuff with each other, like, you know, they're probably everybody left in that squad after seven years of Jim Gavin are probably totally just bought into this way of life. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, like, I mean, how do mistakes happen towards the end of the games? Number one, fatigue. That's not going to happen with Dublin um, with Brian Cullen's strength and conditioning. Number two, pressure. You know, panic when panic sets in. And listening to that, I, I was very, very impressed by Declan Darcy. Like any county team, I wouldn't say he'd do it, but county teams should be queuing up looking to get that lad involved because I thought he was really, really impressive. Yeah, it was really articulate as well. And just the, the points that he made make complete sense when you think about Dublin when it comes to strip back winning and losing, take the emotion out of it. And I was going to say that not only does it explain kind of how Dublin have been so have performed so well under pressure in the, the biggest of games, probably also explains why they hammered so many teams, especially in Leinster, because they don't ease up. Yeah, you know, it's next ball. There's like there, it, it's not a case of right, we've we've won this game now. We'll just coast towards the finish. It's it's maintaining those standards kind of throughout and making sure that you know we never let up. It doesn't matter if it's Kerry or if it's you know maybe Wicklow in the Leinster Championship or something like that. No offense to Wicklow. The only thing I'll say about it is that like not to get all mushy or whatever, but when you take away the emotion of the game, does that take away how much does that take away from the real joy of winning when you know on the biggest occasions or if you had to really dig out a win, do you just kind of park that or do you really take some satisfaction? satisfaction out of it you know saying it was just another game like uh, like one thing that kind of struck me was how much they enjoyed winning Dublin team enjoyed winning the five in a row last year and it was kind of rare enough to see that and I don't know was that because they were so used to taking away the motion out of the game but listen in the overall sense of it you know yeah how can you argue with the philosophy that Jim Gavin and Declan Darcy so eloquently explained there because it's been so successful for Dublin over the years yeah, well, that's the thing. They still enjoy winning the matches. Like, I mean, I wouldn't think it's gone to those extremes. It's just on the field. And, like, I mean, it's very rarely you'd be really enjoying yourself too much on the field anyways in a championship match because mm. you'd be so, you know, the pressure's on. 
I would say in a, most of the championship matches I played in, I wouldn't say you're really enjoying them unless you're winning by seven or eight points and you're playing well and you might go, right, well, this looks like it's in the bag and just kind of think to yourself, you should enjoy this because this should, this is a good feeling. But in a close game, you don't be thinking to yourself like that, I suppose. Mm, I'd say it is. like It's probably just a better way of going about the, the process. Like, you know, I know myself, I'd be a bit too emotional almost I'm, I'm reacting to what's happening like so if we score a goal I'm up and I'm going mad for the next ball whereas if we concede a goal my head's down and like I'm sort mm. of going up and down depending on what's happening in the game whereas those yeah. boys just going after the next ball and then when the final whistle blows then they're happy yeah I do take their point on that Connor though like I mean there's human emotions that are, yeah. are natural it's difficult to suppress them um, and you know the sports psychology always is not to show that you're disappointed if you miss. And the one that jumps into my mind straight away is Oshi McConville when he missed that penalty in 2002. He, went, he put his head in his hands with the man <laughs> step. Like, you know, they would have been big up in sports psychology. And it's not like Oshin didn't come out in the second half and score the goal that won the game for them. Anyways, anyway, we're getting into a sports psychology kind of realm here. Where, but it, no, but De- it, to, to be fair, Declan Darcy was just very, very impressive um, fella. And it, like, it, it just makes you think, how Desi Farrell is getting completely screwed by everything. Every card Desi Farrell has been handed has been a lousy one. Getting the team, getting the job just before Christmas, having a team holiday to have to contend with that you're not on. It's a completely yeah. different team <laughs> that you have no part of. And then you come, you come back a couple of, uh, I think it's seven or eight weeks in a very intense league schedule where you're not really getting much work done. You're recovering and you're not able to get an awful lot done. Stephen Cluxton, Johnny Cooper, Keno Sullivan, Michael Darren McCauley, Dear McConnelly, Conor O'Callaghan, not even, just filtering slowly back in. And now they're on an after on a lockdown. Like, <laughs> honestly, Conor, like, this is a lot. And if this starts off where the championship starts with, with three weeks, three weeks after, you know, we all get back to what the new normal is. Jeez, Dublin are very lucky they're in a Leinster that can't lay a glove on them because you nearly fancy maybe Mead or Kildare to... to to put it up to them if they if if they got them, yeah, no, they, they are like that. That's probably the same reason. I think by the time they get to a semi final again, they'll be they'll be motoring and like it's always been yeah. the same thing. Double won't be tested until they get to a semi final. But like this is what I mean about teams can be caught. Like you know, double are coming back, and as you say, like some of these boys haven't played football all year. It'll be it'll be September, October, and they might not have kicked the ball. They've kicked the ball, but they wouldn't have played a match all year. Like you know, apart from back in a year a year beforehand. So. It is, it is a bit worrying for them. They'll have three games probably not tested at the highest order. The Super 8s were actually a saving grace for them, I think, because they were getting some good games in there. They were being tested a little bit, and then they were hitting the semifinals. So they're going from the Leicester Championship, hammering teams, into a semifinal against Kerry. You know, and then you're really going to see them tested. Well, that's that's the thing. And even, like, I'm thinking of the Hurling Championship as well, not to panic you here, Connor, But, <laughs> like, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the teams just coasted through that uh, you know the, the games some of them weren't playing at a very high ten- intensity some teams were trying out at an abnormal amount of players only because there was no real threat of relegation because Westmead were in Division 1A you know and it was fairly set in stone that teams weren't going to get relegated now they're in a position where right we're we're gearing ourselves training wise towards the championship and that script has been completely ripped up as well and that's it. And, and like, I'm just thinking of Munster, the, the Munster Hurling Championship, particularly where there is no room for let up whatsoever. Like it, it's, it's been brilliant the last couple of years because it's been five or six weeks of such intensity that the teams involved are using 
what, what the period would be now to build up. So when they when they are hitting the ground, they're hitting the ground running in that monster championship. So now that they're now that they, they they don't have that anymore. But I suppose the only the only consolation they have is that none of the teams have it. So as I was saying earlier on, everybody's coming in the same in the same boat with no match practice and no no real kind of bank of serious training that prepares them for for what's going to come. But it's interesting when you were just talking about Dublin there. I was thinking that yeah, the Dublin the Dublin footballers have been my main course source of concern during this whole <laughs> this whole pandemic. So well, I think they're going to be all right. Yeah, I don't. Especially though, like, like, like I was saying, if if they were in the Ulster Championship, this will bring a smile to Conan's face. You know, we're getting we're getting Donegal or Tyrone in the first round. Do you know? Like, mm. I mean, that would be a completely different ball game. Yeah, yeah, and, and there has been there has been a vulnerability about Dublin during the league as well. That I think, like, I think in the last few years under Jim Gavin, he's been able to kind of bring in a few players, but they've maintained the standards that they were either going to win the league or going very close to it. Maybe bar last year, whereas this year, like Desi Farrell has tried to bring in a lot of players. I don't know whether he expected that it was going the league is going to be as tough as it has been. But Dublin have either, where they've been winning the game, they've been just about getting over the line, and they've had a couple of close calls as well. So they're carrying that vulnerability in immediately as soon as the championship is going to start. Now, they have yeah. to bank that, with all due respect to Leinster, the opposition is going to, isn't going to be as fierce. But you can imagine if they were going into a, straight into a Super 8s so or a championship as competitive as Ulster, that Desi Parrott would have something to worry about. Yeah, they could potentially do like a qualifiers and just run them off really, really quick. That, well, it would add two more weekends probably to it. There, the it would be a preliminary quarter final. Ah, look, there's no point in getting into that too much. It, the chances are it will be it will be one of these. I'm trying to think how they're going to earn their money back. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, this that's a lot of money, sixty million, and a lot of you know clubs are are fairly dependent on it. Another piece of audio I want to bring you, Les. Did you listen to the James McCartan um, interview? Jeez, he was in great form. Like I don't know if, like you would have been, you've been younger than me if, from ninety one to ninety four. James McCartan was the man. Like he was, he was absolute. Like he was just brilliant. Like you know this as, as well as I do. But he was very relaxed and he was in great form um, in the interview. So if anyone listening hasn't heard um, the 1991 football um, nostalgia show. Uh, you should listen to it. But anyways, I asked him, he was wearing a Mead jersey in the dressing room after the match when he was interviewed. And I was just, I, I, start, I was asking him towards the end of the interview what the hell he was thinking swapping his All-Ireland winning jersey. Look, I'd never been in an All-Ireland final before. I was caught on the hop. Tommy died, asked me for my jersey. I swapped my jersey and I was underneath the Hogan stand and I couldn't actually get out. I put on his jersey. I couldn't get out up to, to get my medal or up to, to where the cup was. So I didn't see the cup and presented. I went down underneath the tunnel and I had to walk back to the dressing rooms through the crowds underneath the tunnel and the amount of people that told me hard luck when they saw me because <laughs> I thought it was... <laughs> because I thought, cause I was wearing the Mies jersey. I actually got reunited with that jersey uh, three or four years ago at a, at a dinner. The, the jersey ended up in County Down and uh, it was uh, the Donnan family from Hilltown and it was... Uh, Returned to me in a, a frame so for the wall. So look, I was delighted to get get that back over oh, after twenty five years. So what? Yeah. What to do? Did Tommy Dowd sell it or something? <laughs> I think he passed it on to some somebody, and I I actually I actually heard that it was in the county a few years previous to that because one of the uh, Chuck Brannigan from Kilcoo told me that his 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 girlfriend wore it in bed, and I says, "Well, you do realize she's thinking of me when." It... <laughs> <laughs> 
he wasn't too enamoured with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great one that you only got it three years ago because I was just thinking watching you in the meat jersey. Now, I know it's, it would be hard to say no to Tommy Dowd and stuff like that, but like you'd be kicking yourself after. Like, it's your All-Ireland yeah, winning oh, jersey. Look- Look, it was haunting me for years. It was haunting me for years that I'd, I'd given that away. And I, before the 2010 Ulster final, I told our Iron final, I told the down lads, whatever you do, do not give your jersey away and don't make the same mistake that I made. And that's right. how, how Chuck, Chuck was on the panel then. And uh, he he knew that uh, I was looking for it back type of thing. <laughs> well, that's a good story. I, Go on. I, 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 I had been tipped off that Chuck knew where it was. So I said that to see if he would get it back from me. <laughs> would, 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 you, would, would you believe there was a banner? I was tweeting about this yesterday up on Hill 16. I never saw so much colour in all my life. Every, it looked like every supporter in Hill 16 had a flag. But the Kilku Mafia had a big banner. So maybe the, it was the Kilku Mafia that had the, that had the jersey all along. Yeah, I had the jersey. They, can, they, can get, they got it for me. <laughs> so what are the chances, uh, Conan? He gets his jersey back 25-odd uh, years um, after he swapped it with Tommy Dowd. Yeah, amazing, amazing story. Um, I, I just can't get into that head for space where I'd be thinking about swapping my jersey over, you know, and the fact that it ended up back in the county and then he was almost too shy to go looking for it originally and that's gets past it, it found, found its way to him. Like, and it well, got me... Sorry. He's, he actually said, like, which I liked, it was only his second year playing inter-county football and Tommy Dowd shook his hand and asked him for a swap. And you're just out of panic. I, I've swapped jerseys with somebody until you get enough experience to say, no, I want this jersey. Like I've swapped and been livid about swapping <laughs> straight after it. And for James McCartan to say to this, you know, I, it definitely rang a bell with, with me that you would swap just on the heat of the moment, especially with someone like Tommy Dowd wanting your jersey. Yeah. What's the, what's the best jersey that you have? Oh, God, I don't know. Am I right in saying, did, did you get Anthony Tolles jersey, Willie? No, no, a friend of mine got Ant- friend of mine got Anthony Tohills, yeah. Oh, I was about to say if he did, Anthony Tohill probably tells the story of regretting the day he gave his jersey to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Anthony Tohill, funny enough, the, f- the friend of mine that swapped the jersey with Anthony Tohill didn't even play. He was a sub. There wasn't <laughs> even a bead of sweat on his jersey, and Anthony Tohill still gave him a number eight for a number whatever twenty six. Like I mean, that's just listen. That's the measure of the man when we're talking about Anthony Tohill. Shannon I mean, is roaring from the phone here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we have uh, we have uh, a fellow on Twitter got back to me, and he said he said that um, he heard the story of James McCartan, and that he was ta- that James McCartan was talking about there, and his name was Connor Donnan, and he's the fella who had James McCartan's jersey all this time. So he said he asked me for my email address, and he sent me an email. So the story goes that his uncle Jay Donnan, he married a girl from Dunderry in County Mead. Um, and he started living in Mead in the 1960s. Um, he's originally from Kilteel. So Jay was a diehard Down fan, and he got working in Mead anyways, and he ended up working along with Tommy Dowd. So when Tommy Dowd swapped with James McCartan after that All-Ireland final, I have to apologise for Tommy da- to Tommy Dowd for even speculating that he sold the jersey or something, which I said. <laughs> so Tommy Dowd landed into work anyways and gave James McCartan's jersey to Jay Donnan. So, like, I mean, Jay then um, was asking Tommy, he had a young nephew called Connor Donnan, and he was saying to Tommy, you wouldn't be able to, or saying to Tommy Dowd, you wouldn't be able to get something for my nephew Connor. So Tommy went away to meet to the Mead lads anyways. I wouldn't say he asked on the WhatsApp group or anything like that. He might have had to send a few letters around because it would have been after the all But Brian Stafford anyways 
donated his jersey to give to Jay Donnan's uh, nephew, Connor. So now he, Connor has, uh, has Stafford's jersey and Connor said in the email, he says, I remember the day I was given the jersey, walking through the shopping centre in Yuri with it on me. He was only 11 at the time. It was five sizes too big at the least. Every stride I took, I felt like I was six foot tall, Brian Stafford, stepping up to stroke it over the black spot. Eyes were on me from passers-by. They were constantly glancing at the 11-year-old strutting around in a dirty, blood-stained knee uh, <laughs> jersey. No, no surprises that jersey was blood-stained, uh, by the way. So then, here, this is how the story finishes up anyways. So 15 years ago, uh, Jay Dunnan, who's passed away um, now, gave Connor uh, James McCartan's jersey. So now J- Connor had Brian Stafford's jersey and James McCartan's jersey. And Jay, and sorry, and Connor, Connor's sister, Colleen, started going out with Aidan Chop Brannigan, who was on the down squad. He's a uh, uh, Kilku player, played in the All-Ireland Club final last year. So Chock was going out with Connor's sister. And this is, this is, this is the fellow who was slagging James about his missus wearing, uh, wearing James McCartan's jersey. Bed. Or whatever. Now, she wasn't, because Connor wouldn't even dream of letting anyone near this jersey. So... Chuck Brannigan started asking Connor, can I have the jersey? I want to, I want to wind James off a trainer with it. So he wanted to bring the jersey to train and to piss James, <laughs> piss James off. He's waiting for this jersey for so long. So Connor said no, he wouldn't give it to Chuck Brannigan because he thought this was all a big joke and the jersey meant so much to him. So then finally, when Connor realised how much James wanted the jersey back, um, down in 2000, or in 2016, there was a 25-year celebration of Down winning the All Ireland. And Marty Morrissey, of course, is emceeing this, which will come as a surprise to nobody. He's cleaning up that fella. Um, <laughs> so he called he called Connor up the stage to present the jersey back to James McCartan, and the story all ended up well. So there's there's the story behind that jersey. I hope everybody's still listening to it. I'm sure they are. I thought I thought it was a good one. Like I mean, James McCartan, the jersey being in down, and he's not able to. I suppose maybe without social media, there was no way of getting the kind of campaign to get his jersey back. Yeah, no retweets back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> That's it from us here, lads. We'll come back with Connor McKenna. I'd never be allowed to go off in eight and hit a shite like him and go on with a slob or whatever. Like I was always doing a bit. I remember, all I remember is I thought I was going to get clobbered in the way in there. I threw the ball up in there. I don't know. It was, it was pure luck, no fairness. Pure luck. I have fucking bullshit if you see yourselves. All right, with the AFL cancelling games until May the 31st, Conor McKenna is back in Ireland and he joins us on the line now. Very like, very unlike you to come home like this, Conor. Um, I thought you would have waited in Australia. Yeah, no, I don't go home that often, so I thought I'd just <laughs> home. What, what, what's, what's it like over in Melbourne? What's it like with the coronavirus? Like, I mean, has the city shut down or how were you lucky to get out of there or how did that yeah, work? I was, pretty, I was pretty lucky. When, I, when we got out, it was still pretty much pretty normal living. So the, the week before home, the pubs and all were open. It was still, there was, it was getting a bit more shut down, but no, it was, I think it was pretty lucky to get out. So we, we flew out the day after finding the FL season was cancelled and I got on the first flight out on the Monday morning. But my brother's getting out since, since we left them. They're all working from home and... Yeah, it's pretty pretty much shut down. You can't be in a group more than three people, I think. So, probably lucky to get when we did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And come here, you went into uh, a two-week um, isolation period in Donegal. I was reading. 
Uh, they try a few things. I suppose the flick-up we do a lot of training was probably the main one to try, but some of them can't get a grasp of it. Right, right. That, the, the dummy solo is actually dangerous enough in Aussie rules because it's not like they're diving to block the ball like Gaelic football. They're diving for yeah, you. that's the problem. Most time they're going for you rather than the ball. So I suppose you're just trying to get the right time to do it. I think back in the, when I, cause I placed uh, deep in the fans, it's probably not the place to do it. Well, you probably, I think you'd get away with more in the forward line because if you're going for a shot, they might go for a block more. But no, you're taught a lot more to go for the man rather than the actual ball. So... So you're you're another you're another one of the Irish players that play in the forwards back home with Gaelic football and play in the backs out there. Like I mean, the, most of the lads I know that have gone out there have followed that same path. Like, are are you hoping to get out of the backs over there, or? or, or... Hey. I so my first my first two my first year I played as a forward and was happy enough and so just be a fan and then played my first two games as a forward and then my second year all we had is a, a drug saga with. But on the club and uh, the whole the whole oh, yeah. got they got a they got fired more or less for a year or suspended for a year, sorry. So I played the fourth first couple of games but we were probably it was really one two games that year, so it was a tough year. So after about four games they started just tried different players. So I went back and I think I played maybe fourteen games as a defender that year and then now we sort of were finding probably our best football. But definitely at some stage I want to go back forward and I was trying to get it this year but then with all this happening, it sort of just put it back a bit. Right, and do you like running around after somebody? Then, like, do you get used to it? Do you end up enjoying enjoying the challenge of it? I do, yeah, I do. I played as a, a back when I was younger, but I suppose as an FL, because you have like we call it like a key defender, and then like a mid an intercept defender, and a rebound defender as well. Considered a rebound, so I probably, to be honest, do more attacking than do defending anyway. Right, but so it's it's not full on defending, but it's just having the reference to your man. But when we get the ball take off as quick as you can more or less so it's not fun to find but it's definitely something I would, like to back is, I would like to try a year probably as a forward or as much as you can as a forward before I'm, right. before I'm done Come here you're talking I was reading on the BBC you were talking to them yesterday I think and you're saying that you're going to be home in the next few years so is that see out this year and the following year? Uh, well I, I've always like, never said it like I've always said I want to get home at some stage and play Gaelic and it's always been an ambition of mine so it's probably just coming close to that stage. I'm still a year and a half, or this season, next season, contract. So I'm, all idea is to finish that out and then just see what happens. Like two years, a long time, so a lot can change. But I, I definitely have an idea of coming home within the next probably next one to three years. Probably I'd say I definitely I want to come home before before I'm done playing literally. So right, yeah. Come here, because you 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 can't, you've you've never really been able to shake the homesickness, really. Like you're there six years now. Yeah, same. That's about five and a half years, and every year struggle with homesickness. It's on um, this year was probably the worst. Of, not uh, Bob Warren, of course, this is probably the worst. It was been so. I came back after Christmas, so you go out for your four or five weeks before Christmas for your pre-season, go back to three Christmas, and then fly back out in January for your pre-season. Your season starts the long stint. Just after this year, fly off January, I just couldn't really get settled and. Was it struggling? There was times I was sort of was, wasn't able to finish reading and walk off. Was fucking a couple of times I was in tears just walking off. Just know what didn't know what it was. So right, there was once it happened then I walked into one of the boys in the club and just asked them or said to them more or less I want to go home and just see what happens. So that's when I came home there probably a month or a month and a half ago for three weeks. So the club was really good. They've always said if you ever homesick, we're happy for you to go home for a week. So they that was on a Monday and I at two o'clock and I flew out Monday at ten o'clock at night. So they're they're very good. And if, if I do feel like that, they're the lab will go. 
All right, okay, that's fair. That's fair. And what do the Essendon fans think? Like, I mean, I know you're a fan's favourite. I'm sure they don't like hearing you saying things like "I'm going home next year" or the next couple of years. I will expose. See, you say something in an interview and it's taken out of context, and that's the only thing that's put up in the interview is that I'm coming home. So, it's not the fact that I'm coming home next year. It's just I always have and always will have an ambition to come home within the next few years. So it's just a I've considered every year to be honest. Like I always weigh that options up, and that's the way I probably, which is the main thing, wages and professional sport. Come from yeah. home and the nine to five job and playing Gaelic, so it's, it's never changing. It's just it's when the options up at the end of the year and they're making the right decision for me. Because some people would say, "Are you off your head? You're living in Melbourne. You're playing professional sport. Um, you know, it, it would be a lot of people's dreams to come home to rainy Ireland and play a sport that you you're not getting paid for, and you'll only get abuse if you play badly." Oh, complete. But <laughs> I haven't entitled their opinion. To be honest, I don't listen to much of it. At the end of the day, it's my decision if I think it's my time to go home. Yeah. Like I've, I've been happy. If I wasn't there, I wasn't that happy there. I wasn't stayed there and a half years. So I'm grateful for what I've done over there and what the opportunity I've been given. But I, I knew it was always going to end at some stage and it's just coming close to that time rather than start my career. Yeah, because like I mean, it, it, what's probably playing on your mind? You missed the t- you missed the under twenty one All Ireland in two thousand fifteen, yeah. and that was kind of around your age group. And like Tyrone are in the mix. You know, they're in the mix. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was like the first year of the ones that really hit home like that. I ended up coming home about two months after as well for homesick because I just I couldn't saddle over in Australia. And then I went back there and won a penalty one game make myself happy. And then I went to the Ireland final two years ago we're showing we're playing Dublin. And yeah. I was just sitting I was sitting in the stand with my mates watching it and I was just I felt sick just watching it like so I knew it was always something I wanted to do and just watching it you you want them so much to win, but you just hurt them so much watching them do it, you know? Yeah, no, that's not after, true. After the, first, after the first five minutes, they're five nil up or five one up, and I was just thinking, Jesus Christ, if this, it would always <laughs> break my heart. I always, I always wanted to win, but it just would have broke my heart, so that's just how I hit home again. Yeah, and you're getting blamed. You're well. You're not getting blamed for Cattle McShane going out there on trials, but like, I mean, if if anything, you probably advised him against it. Oh well, like I, I, some, like I. Had and always will have contact with FL. Like I, if I I'd advise any young eighteen year old person to go and play you like, or to play FL so and have given an opportunity. Like if you, if you actually look at the statistics, not a lot of FL players Irish players stay. Like it's, it no. really is that two to three year thing, and a lot of people not to don't make it. It's the homesickness and the missing you like that draws them back home. So I I, I don't find it a, a, that big a missing for like, the Gaelic Swedish like, you see a lot of players or a lot of commentators saying that it's a disgrace that Irish players are going over there like honestly I, you go over there and try and make a better life for yourself and that's what I always said if I could go over there and set myself up for back home in the future it's, it's too good an opportunity to miss so I always have and always will advise young boys to go over honestly probably something I'd like to get involved in when I'm finished Right, right, okay uh, we were saying on the show that Cottle McShane was probably a little bit too old what What's your opinion on that by the time he got used to the ball, you know, and did his two years kind of, you know, VFL and all that kind of thing that he could, he'd be 26? Yeah, I, I don't know if he's too old, but it's just the fact if, so if you want to go over there and make money, which was, I wanted to do at the start, I was always make money and the professionalism and the sport, like I always want to try that. To be honest, if you go out there for two or three years, you're probably not going to make a lot of money. It's a good, a good great, great professional sport, but it's not really that good of money for your first couple of years for living in a big city and how expensive. Yeah. It's really probably, like, really probably my third contract, which is my four-year contract, was the only one that actually was going to help improve my living when I came back home. So 
if you're thinking about driving for two or three years, which Cal probably was at that point, it probably wasn't worth it if you're going to if you're thinking trying to make money in the future. But I think 18 is the year. 18 is very young, which it's a sort of hard one because I, I wouldn't advise people to go out at 18. I went out at 18 from Schaefer's school and it was a big adjustment. Like it's it, that's where it breaks for the Irish players. I think maybe 1920s probably needs to go out and give it a go because you've, you've actually come out of school, you might have had a job, went to university, so you're just a little bit more mature. I, I was very mature and I don't like and probably something I struggled with a lot. I think that is definitely something. 18, yeah, you're right, it's, 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 much, oh, it's way too young. You haven't even had a chance to go to university, live on your own for a year, anything? I never had a, a full-time job. Like I, I had never had a job, really. I worked, I spent Gaelic football on much team school, county, playing soccer, playing rugby, whatever, and get my hands on. I never had a job. So I literally went straight from school in May and signed for a team, getting a good pay that I didn't know what to do with money. I am spending money on that stupid stuff because I just wanted to get rid of it. <laughs> like it just you see at eighteen you just you go there and then you're by yourself, you know family, friends, you live with family, so you really are on your own. It, it made me grow up very quickly, but that's why so many people don't make it. I think it's because we're like too young and and just just aren't ready for it, really. Yeah, and like I mean, without being like I I've been in Australia a few times. Like Australian fellas have different crack than us. Like there's no point in saying anything else. So it's probably difficult even to find lads that you hit it off with. Oh, it is. I don't like there are different crack, but uh, there's probably. A group of five or six guys that really like really really friendly with them will be like long friends with Eston, but yeah, it does take time. Honestly, to go on. like for my first six months, I came out here was nervous talking to anybody, and I talked very quickly when I was younger, I still probably do. But for the first <laughs> six months, no one could understand me. Literally, I was, <laughs> I was so you'd ask them a question and they come back with a yes or no, and you just know that no clue what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Sure. That must be that. That's did it. Like Australian people struggle to understand me. Like never mind oh, you. Oh, it was it was honestly the first year off. Still, yeah, it's, it's it gets annoying when you hear that people go what what it's it puts it to your head. Yeah, yeah. And come here, do you keep up with all the Gaelic football games in Australia? Like I watched the All Ireland replay in Sydney. I was over there on holidays, and it was like a two a.m. job. Do you know that kind of way? Or like I, I presume qualifiers and different games are very difficult to see. Yeah, I watch most. I'd watch I'd watch every tournament game down, and mostly in GA go. That's pretty good. So I watch it. Yeah. Or if I'm sitting there in the house on a Saturday or Sunday night and there's a game on at probably one or two o'clock in the morning, I'd watch it like so. Yeah, when the team when the championships up and run, I'd watch probably probably one game a week or two games a week, depending on just just the time difference and when, when it suits and matches, obviously. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, come here, listen, Connor. Thanks very much for taking the call. I let you back to your cup of tea. I hope it's not gone cold. There. Hundred percent. See you, Tom. Right, great stuff from Connor there. That's always time for We'll Be Back on Monday with a couple of nostalgia shows. We'll talk to you then. Good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're running the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go, cause I